0: Here in the seventh inning, the Yankees are trailing two That That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field, going to the corner. Yastrzemski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get the lead, three two, and it's just there the
1: Deep to left.
0: Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Dent. The Yankees now lead it by a score of three to 2 well, The last guy on the ball club you'd expect to hit a home run. Just hit one into the screen. Bucky Dent.
2: Hi there, everyone. I'm Bucky Dent. Welcome to this week's episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Uh, We have an unbelievable guest today. They call him the Louisiana Lightning, but I call him Gator. He's not only a great pitcher, but he's been a great friend for a long time. But before we get there, on the line is Al Santissari, the editor-in-chief of Yankee Magazines. Hi, Al.
3: Hey, Bucky. I can't wait to talk to Gator. He's a a good friend of mine as well and and somebody whose stories are are legendary, and and that's what this podcast episode is going to be.
2: And we also have... Yankees Magazine Deputy Editor John Schwartz, and we can't wait to talk to this guy, Gator, because he's one of the all-time unbelievable great Yankees.
1: For sure. How you guys doing?
2: Doing great. Okay, let's not waste any more time. Let's get him on the line right now. Well, Gator, man, it's great to have you on.
0: Well, same. Yeah, well, it's always great to be on there, you know, anytime. But, you know, you on, you with me, it makes it much better. We have a lot in common, don't we? Yeah,
2: I have Al and John. They're going to be on with us. and in... Yeah, they're
0: going to throw their two cents in every once in a
2: while. I'm just here to watch you guys go. <laughs> <laughs> and We're going to go, baby. We're gonna, this is going to be fun. But, uh, you know, I want to talk about your career, you know, playing in New York, being teammates. and
0: I, I don't want to talk about my career. That's boring, man. I'm I'm tired of talking about my career. Hey,
2: well, you did some amazing things, man. I'll tell you what. Well,
0: we all did amazing things, but do we have to keep talking about them? Sure, because the people want to know. Hey, I always laugh. It's like we tease you about your home run in Boston. You know, if we watch that replay enough
2: times, that ball won't go over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what i'm afraid of that's why i start sweating <laughs>
1: i think that's what your thinks too
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 but uh let, let's talk about you know when you uh got drafted by the yankees uh and uh you came out of south what was it southeastern louisiana Southwestern. southwest southwest yeah, it was yeah. southwestern. raging raging cajuns but were, were, yeah the raging cajuns were you a yankee fan back then Sure. Yeah. And you were excited um, about getting drafted by the Yankees?
0: Well, yeah, you know, I always tell the story. The story is in, you know, I have I mean, I've told the story many times, you know, to writers and, and interview guys. And, you know, it's in the books that you write and stuff like that. It, You know, when I was young and then and, and when baseball kind of got established into my life, I was probably five, six, seven years old down here in Louisiana you had two teams that were shown uh playing on the weekends that was either the Yankees or the St. Louis Cardinals because you remember old Dizzy Dean and um his brother that was the commentators mm-hmm. on on the weekend television so you got one of those well my mom's favorite team was New York so she just started watching Uh, the games and she locked me in the house so she could watch the games and that's how I I became interested in the Yankees.
2: Tell us a little bit about what your feelings were the first time you put on that Yankee uniform and you you got called up. I I, I remember mine in 73 and uh, when I got called up with the White Sox and then when I put that Yankee uniform on in 77 when I got traded
0: you know, as a minor league guy playing in Syracuse, playing in uh, A in West Haven, Connecticut, we used to drive by Yankee Stadium every once in a while in our games, playing somebody else, you know, they're traveling by bus. So every once in a while, we had a chance to drive in front of Yankee Stadium. And, you know, that's where all your dreams are. You know, that's where you dream of playing. You know, so for us, like in 75, when we I, I know that's the last time that i saw yankee stadium but don't forget yankee stadium was being refurbished in 74 75 so we were playing all they, they were they were playing their games at shea so when i got called up in in um july we were in rochester and bobby cox who was my triple a manager called me early in the morning said look I got some great news. I got good news. got bad news. The good news is you're getting called up. The bad news is you got to be in New York in about two hours. So, you know, he said, I I rented you a car. It's in the lobby. I'll meet you there. Uh, See you in five minutes. Pack your stuff. So I hurried up through all my stuff in uh, suitcases, met Bobby in the lounge. He told me to drive to Syracuse, pick up all my belongings. And I had a flight out of Syracuse into LaGuardia. I don't recall what time, but... They were having a double hitter against Boston that afternoon game started at one. And uh, my flight was supposed to get in there sometime around 2.30. You know, it was more or less for for the second game because uh, Catfish was pitching the first game. And anyway, the plane was early. We left early. We we had no problems. We get there early. So, you know, you get out of the cab. You go into uh, Shea Stadium. They show you where the Yankee locker room is. The first guy I meet, of course, Bucky, is Pete Sheehy. And, you know, old Pete tells you all the ropes. You got to do this. You have to do that. And then – he he says, Okay, well let's go get you uniform. So we're looking at numbers, you know, and, and you already know there's numbers you can't get. Right. <laughs> so we're we're going through numbers and he's you know, you're going like, Oh God, don't don't give me seventy nine or eighty nine <laughs> or you know, no I don't want oh no. You know, and he was grabbing uniform numbers, you know, and he'd he'd grab a number and he'd like he'd look at you. And then he'd put the number back and then he'd walk a little bit, go into another cubicle get another number and he, he goes you know what he says nobody's ever made number 49 famous he said here why don't you try to make it famous wow. so you're going like dude I just want a uniform I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen <laughs> just you know just give me the uniform yeah so that's how I got my number so I got the number I walked out I went to the dugout I met The first manager who was there at the time was Bill Verdon. So I met him. He told me to go into the bullpen. So I walked in the bullpen. And, of course, in the bullpen is um, Sparky Lyle, Dick Tidrell, uh, Dave Pagan. um, I think one of the left-handers that I had known in Syracuse, I think his name was Dave Cheadle. You know, within five minutes, you know, Sparky had given me my nickname, and Tidro had lit up my shoelaces. <laughs> you know, say. so I was, you know, you're welcome to the big club. Yeah. And then ten minutes after I was in the bullpen, I was actually in the game. Oh, so
2: you got, so you got to pitch against Boston.
0: People said, did you ever get nervous? I don't know if you did, Bucky, your first time. I never had a chance to get nervous. I got, I just got, before I knew it, I was pitching. You know, and once you start playing, you forget about everything else.
1: Hadn't you pitched like four straight days up to that point or something crazy?
0: Well, yeah, in AAA. Yeah. Look, when they tell you to go pitch, you go pitch. Now, what was in my favor is, you know, Boston didn't know who I was. They don't, you know, they don't know. I gave up a hit to, I don't know who got the first hit off of me. Fred Lynn, maybe? Uh, he could have. I think I remember he just kind of dunked the ball in, or it could have been Rice. But you know, that's the guys that you're going to go on eventually and face and have battles with all the time. But you know, I, I I did okay, but more or less because I was unknown, they really didn't know who I was.
2: So you got thrown in, you got thrown in the fire real quick against the Boston Red Sox. Didn't oh you? yeah,
0: oh man, I, I was in the kitchen getting pots and pans ready <laughs> to burn. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. The grease was hot when I got, (laughs) yeah.
3: You know, as the the complexion of those teams changed a little bit, guys like Bucky came along, you know, Goose in, in 78. But even before that, by 76, let's say, how would you, you know, both of you guys describe that group of, players that you were that you were both surrounded by from a from an outsider standpoint it looks like a really interesting group of guys to say the least
2: probably one of the best group of guys I've played with you know I came over in 77 I I came over on opening day so I didn't get to spend as much time as as Gator did with them but i tell you what, I mean, as far as a group of guys, those guys are still outstanding today, even when we go back to old timers. You know, I mean, uh, Gator's one of the guys that calls all the time to check on you and stuff like that. But, you know, those are great teammates. I mean, Gator played with them longer than I did. But as far as the group that, that we played with, they were awesome.
0: Well, yeah, that's true. In 75, which was the last year at Shea, when you when you fast forward and you look at the, and you talk about the '76 team, half that team was new in '76, maybe more than half. For me, you know, I was up and down. I didn't spend the whole year down. You know, the story with Martin is Martin didn't trust rookies, and I was still considered a rookie. When all of those guys start to to come in and we started to form that club, you know, we we wound up winning the American League championship you know chambliss hits the home run which was one of the biggest moments for you know for the last 15 or so years since they had won in 62 was the last time they had won a world series we had won a world series so that home run kind of signified the return of the New York Yankee franchise, great things started to happen after that, and then of course the next year, you know, now you go to the World Series, you get blown out. We get blown out by the Reds. Okay, well, I didn't think anybody would have beat them anyway, you know. But but like when '77 starts, you know, Bucky comes over, Reggie comes over, you know, you got you got a different team. He brought with him the hitter that guys are afraid. To pitch to in certain situations because if you make a mis- if you make your pitches you will get him out. Don't get me wrong, he, you can you can get him out.
1: Don't tell Reggie that
0: <laughs> he struck out more than anybody else, right? <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is, as a pitcher, if you make a mistake on a guy like that, you get punished, and he can hurt you. When he'd hurt you, it was a two-run homer, a three-run homer, maybe a grand slam. But you would get hurt by guys like that, and he would hurt. Other teams' aces. So when you're pitching as an ace, you got to be aware of those hitters that you can't afford to give up the big hit. And that's what Reggie did. Well, we didn't have that in 76. Okay? That's what he brought to us. So the team complexity was different when you look at hitting. Now, we had a great pitching staff. I developed into a good starter. Well, I wasn't there as a starter in 76. So that's how it all changes. You know, things just started to happen. But like I said, when Chris hit that home run, great things started to happen. The thing about the seventy eight club was, if you go at that point in July when we started to play ball again after being 14 games behind, it was because we started to play as a team again. And Bucky, I think Bucky will remember this. Buck, you remember at the beginning of the season for like one or two months, we always had somebody on the shelf. In- oh, yeah. We never, had the, we never had the best team that we fielded on the field really for a long period of time up until that time in July. And what happens is when you start winning, okay, and everybody catches that fever about winning, you just never know where the hero is. Uh, every night's going to be. It never comes from the same guy all the time. It's true that there there are guys that can carry a ball club, but it's not going to be every night. He might carry a club for a month, but not for five months. Somebody else has to step up, and that's what happened to that 78 club. Our 77 club, we just won all year. We just won. But the 78 club, once we started winning and it caught, it, you just never knew who was going to be the hero that night. And, of course, Bucky, you know, we laugh because, Bucky, when was the, when was the last time you hit a home run before that playoff game?
2: You remember? No <laughs> yeah,
0: because he hadn't hit one in two
2: months. <laughs> hey, easy, Gator. I used to like you.
0: He <laughs> doesn't hit home runs, okay? Bucky's not a home run hitter. He's a good hitter. But Bucky's ability is defense. Okay, and what am I? I'm a pitcher. Okay, I know he's playing shortstop. All I gotta do is let him touch the ball. Because if he touches it, you're out. Okay, but that's what makes pitchers feel at ease. When you know that your guys playing behind you, if they touch it, you're out. And that's how we that's that was our game plan. We didn't have team. I don't recall us pounding guys we did Did you feel like every night you went out to play bucky you needed seven or eight runs to win a game no not with our pitching staff we won on pitching and defense okay you know you'd come in cat when cat was at his best when gullet was there when figgy was there when i was there you know all you had to do was get us three three runs at the most and we'd make sure nobody got anything yeah and that's how we'd win now you make that one mistake pitch to Nettles, to Chamlers, to, to, to Reggie, yeah, sure, they pop a three-run home run in the seventh. The game is now goes from two to one, two to nothing, to five to one, six to nothing, six to one. Well, yeah, now the game's out of hand. Now you lost. You know, but that's how it was. That's what we did. But w- we didn't give up six runs in the game. You didn't need to score.
2: And the guys that we played with, I mean – they were so much fun to play with. I mean, they know, they know, oh, they know sure. when, when they went between the lines, what they had to do. But, you know, when right. you're in, on the bus rides or you're, you're in the clubhouse and stuff like that, that was a fun part of that team.
0: Because and, those guys knew how to play the game. Right. They knew how to play the game. But they also knew how to have fun
2: playing the game, right? I tell the stories all the time about you know with uh, Art Fowler, you know, coming to the mound and <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, to the mound, yeah, how much fun, yeah, when he
2: comes to the mound because
0: everybody thinks every time you come out there, it's a serious conversation. Yeah. How many times? You, how many times did you come up there? And I'd ask him, well, what am I doing wrong, Art? And he say, I don't know wrong, but you pissing <laughs> Billy off, and that's. But it's twofold because he knows. If he comes out there and he gives me a little break, then'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm supposed to do, okay? And the way you get the best of me is don't come out there and pat me on the butt. come out there and and, and tick me off so I get mad. That's when I'm going to be better. And that's what he, that's what he would do. I already know the base is loaded and nobody else, dude. You don't have to tell me that that's not his job. What he wants to do is he's going to come out there and he's going to ask me, how are you going to get out of this mess?" I don't know, Ron, but you're pissing Billy off. <laughs> He's going to say something that we're going to get a kick out of, but it's going to do the job. And that's what he was good yeah. at. But it was fun. I mean, you know, though all of those guys were great. Even even as much trouble as Billy gave the organization, he was great at managing and playing for them. A lot of guys didn't like playing for him.
2: What was what was your relationship when you first when you first came up with him? I know you were in the bullpen.
0: Well, he didn't trust me. Yeah, you know. Well, the, I tell the story about um, the time in Kansas City. Um, well, it's actually it's in '77. I mean, I've, I've been up and down. I had I had almost quit in '76 when he sent when they sent me down one time because that's the time that I almost quit. After one of the games that night that I I had, I actually said I was quitting after the game. When I was driving home, I said to myself, okay, that's it. I got to, you know, uh, I don't have, I don't have time for this. But anyway, they, when I was in the bullpen after the game, uh, Cloyd Barrier, who was the pitching coach at the time says, Gator, when you go in, he says, "Uh, they're probably going to send you down. Well, you know, and my first response to CB was, well, why? And CB looks at me and he, he, you know, it's, it's hard for him to answer. Okay. But the reason why they're sending you down, he said, was because you're not pitching and you're going like, well, I know I'm not pitching, but I mean, if he doesn't put me in, how can I, how can I, how can I not pitch? I mean, he's got to put me in for me to pitch. So that's when CB said, Look, he really doesn't trust rookies. And I said, "Well, CB, I'll never, I, I'll never play here then, because I'm a, I'm a rookie. I mean, how can I not be? You know? So, um, you know, that was that was the time that I almost quit. But you know, I didn't. I went to Syracuse. The year starts in '77, and we have injuries to our starting staff. So, about a week or so before, we're in Kansas City and. We're there for a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I'm in the bullpen, and Monday night's game, we get into trouble in the in the eighth inning, I think, so Billy calls down into the um, bullpen, and he gets Tidrow up, and he gets me up, because there's a right-hander hitting, and then uh, Mayberry's coming up, so... Um, I, don't, I don't recall what happened to the right-hander, but when Mayberry gets up, Billy called down right before he went out to the mound to make sure that we were both ready. So you figure, what would you figure?
2: We could bring you in, yeah.
0: I would be in, right? Left against left? Okay. Well, then all of a sudden, he calls Fatidro to face Mayberry. Okay, well, Tidber- Tidro goes in, and the first pitch Tidro threw, Mayberry hit that ball in the water. <laughs> we lose the game. We go in the in the clubhouse, and now the, um, the, uh, the press is just, you know, trying to get an answer. Why, 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 why? You know, why do you bring in this, that, you know, Tidro, blah, blah, blah. And Billy's, you know, he's trying to explain his actions. Okay, so he kind of pacifies the reporters. Now we move on to the next night. Well, guess what happened the second night that we were there? Almost the same thing. But I think it's Brett that's hit, And Brett hits a, a, a ball off of Tidrow because he brings Tidrow in again to face the left-hander. Okay? While I'm in the bullpen warming up and I'm ready. So now Wednesday night game gets ready. And guess what happens? Almost the same scenario. Okay? But now on Tuesday You remember that report of Maury Allen?
2: Oh yeah, Maury Allen. Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I found out later that the story was that they were talking and Murray asked Billy, because Billy said something about me being a rookie to the to the press. And Maury asked him, Well, if you never bring him in a game, Billy, how's he ever gonna do the job? So I think what happened, Billy got the ass, you know, that he got, he, you know, that he tried two times to make it work and it didn't. So now Wednesday, when uh, I'm in the bullpen, Tidrell's in the bullpen again, same scenario and Brett's the hitter. Okay. And the score is tied. Brett comes up, Billy goes out, I'm in the bullpen, and then Sparky answers the phone, and he looks at me, and he says, you're in. So, you know, you're going like, oh, great. I've been warming up for two nights to get in. I was fresh two nights ago, not too bad last night, but then, you know, after throwing your third night in a row in the bullpen, it's almost like throwing two innings. Mm -hmm. And I get to face George Brett. He's only hitting like 350, right? So, So you go in, and you face Brett. And it's it's one of those things that you can never really understand. I ask him today. He still can't give me a good answer, okay? At that time, too, you remember Kansas City had the turf. Yeah. And Rivers, for some reason, was playing very, very shallow on Brett, up the middle. And Brett hit a seed that Mickey charged in, picked it up on one hop. And, you, Bucky, you know Mickey never had an arm, right? No. No. <laughs> he threw a perfect one-hop strike to Munson, who tagged out uh, UL, uh, uh, UL Washington running from second to, to try to score. And, like, Mickey had two assists all year. That was one, okay? So now we go – We the very next inning, we score a run or so, and Billy makes me go back out. Instead of bringing in, you know, like a season – Guy, he he makes me go back out. He tells me I'm going back out in the eighth inning. So I go out in the eighth inning. I get three up, three down. I come back. Now, it's the ninth inning. Don't you think you, the closer should come in the game?
2: <laughs> yeah, with spark, Yeah, with Sparky out there. Yeah, well, guess course, what? Yeah,
0: you're going back out. So you, you you know what? I never knew exactly what he was trying to do. Was he trying to make me the the goat? Because you know he I, it had backfired two times, and that way he'd been able to say, "You see what I was telling everybody you know so but it didn't work that way. I got the three guys out okay we we win the game that's that's how I got my first big league win as a reliever. that was the night I got my first win what What goes on is like a week and a half later is when Cat goes down with his first uh, shoulder problem, and I have to make an emergency start against Seattle in New York. I'm walking. I'm getting ready to go out in the bullpen, and Billy runs out, and he says, Catfish can't go. He says, you're the only guy that can go. He says, you got to try to give me three, four, five good innings. (laughs) Well, I gave him eight in the third. I got into the, the ninth inning. And it's ironic because no other starter that we had all year had gotten into the ninth inning. And I'm a reliever and I got into the ninth inning. Things change for me. That's that's my story. It's not it's not like the team's thing. It's just my story. So that's something else. But that's how Billy was. Playing for him was tough. But the ironic thing was once you got his respect, you had something. You have it. He's behind you 100%. But – but for me to earn it, it took a, a hell of a long time.
2: Right, right. But you know, uh, Sparky Lyle he he had a he had a, uh, a a pretty good role as far as helping you with your slider, didn't
0: he? Well, he's the one who taught it to me. Uh-huh. I mean, he didn't help me with it. He's the one that taught it to me. I didn't have a breaking ball that I would that you'd say is a good pitch. I mean, I threw something that cut more or less in the AAA, but your ability to throw hard was really would kind of set you apart now i could not only throw hard bucky as you know but i had great control as a guy who threw hard which is not always a great combination there are a lot of guys that throw hard but they don't have great control Okay, I, I had great control, and once I developed the slider that Sparky showed me to be able to throw fastballs and spot them, and then all of a sudden you throw sliders that they can't hit, it makes you pretty, pretty damn good. <laughs>
1: so, Bucky, take me take me into '78, uh, if you will. You have Ron on the mound pitching probably the best season by a Yankees pitcher in a hundred years. You know what he looks like, though. I'm sure you're as surprised as I am watching on TV now to see the ball coming out of his arm like that. But, I mean, just what is your level of confidence standing behind him every single time there during that incredible season?
2: With Gator on the mound, I mean, most of the time I got a night off when he was pitching because he threw so that hard slider that, you know, Nettles would be, have to be ready because, you know, they would. They'd get out there and they'd hook it to third base, or they would hit a fly ball to right field, or pull a fly ball to left field. You know, I remember Gator telling the story about him going picking up Mickey when he was sick one night, saying, "You know, hey, you know." And I want Gator to tell that story because <laughs> Mickey was sick, and he says, "I'm, where, where's Mickey? Why ain't he in the lineup?" Tell that story, Gator. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you know, we were playing. We were, we were. We were smoking and, you know, we're catching Boston and I get to the ballpark. I always had a customary routine. You know, you come in, you change halfway into your clothes. I'd walk in front of all of the lockers, go all the way down and in, in, into the uh, lounge. And when I'd pass Catfish, who was the last lock on the right in the locker room, then you, you go into the lounge, you get a cup of coffee, and then you go into the training room and, and you go... Talk to Gene and, and Herman Schneider. Well, when I pass the uh, by Catfish's locker, when you turn around, there's like a little bulletin board on Catfish's uh, sidewalk, and on there they post the lineup. So as I pass, I just happen to look up, and I see Paul Blair. Now, I got no problem with Paul playing center field, but Paul usually comes in late to spell someone in a you know in the outfield. So I, I go in the training room, and I, I sit on the table. Hey, Gino, what's the, Mickey, what's the problem? So Gino kind of looks, and he bats his eyes, and he, you know, he, he called a little while ago. He said he's sick. He can't play. Now, <laughs> we all know that Mickey was Mickey, okay? So I had a feeling what was wrong. But, you know, I, I I just, I didn't say anything. So I went to the lock and, you know, the guys start coming in, your routine starts to flow. Our routine is uh, batting, extra batting practice was what, Bucky, about 4.30?
2: Yeah, about 4.30, yeah.
0: Yeah, somewhere's around there. And then, you know, then the regular lineup hits. Well, at, at about 4.30, quarter to five, I'm about the only guy that's left in the clubhouse other than the clubhouse guys. Everybody else is on the field. Well, when everybody left, I called upstairs to find, I got Doris, who was the receptionist, and I asked Doris if Bob Fleming, who was uh, Mr. Steinbrenner's driver, I asked Doris if Bob was upstairs. And she said, he's standing right here. I said, could I speak to him, please? So he gets on the phone, I said, Bob, this is Gator, and he goes, Hey Gator, what's happening? I said, Bob, is the old man here? And he said, No, he's not coming in tonight. I said, You got the car? He said, Yeah, it's in the it's in the um compound. I said, Meet me there in about five minutes. He I hey, fine. He didn't say anything. I put my clothes on, I run downstairs, I meet Bob, I tell Bob. You got to bring me to to Rivers' apartment. I'm going to give you the address. And Mickey had several different places that he stayed in, okay? And <laughs> where, he, where he was staying was uh, not too far from the ballpark. So I, uh, I got to the address, and uh, I get out, and I walk up. And it's one of those apartment complexes. There's a guy behind a desk and you have to be rung up, you know, to get to the room and all of that stuff. And I told the guy, I don't wanna hear no crap from you. I said, if you don't let me up to Mickey Rivers' room, I said, I'm gonna make a phone call in about five minutes, two of the biggest guys you've ever seen in your life are gonna come over here and they're gonna beat the living (laughs) out of you. (laughs) he He says he's in room 621, something like that. So anyway, I walk up there, I knocked on the door And I I hear behind the door, I hear, "Uh, uh, 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 uh," and I hear the chain, you know, slide open and the door cracks open, but the chain's left on the door and Mickey peeps around the door. (laughs) And he he looks at me and goes, hey, hey, hi, Gator. So I open the door. So he unlatches the door. I walk in and I said, listen, you're going to put your clothes on. You're going to come with me to the ballpark. I said, you're going to dress. You're going to go stand in center field, I said, because I need you to be out there so the other team can see you. I said, <laughs> I'm not going to let them hit a ball out there. I just need for you to be out there so that other team can see that you're there. So he okay, fine. So he changed. He went. He dressed out. He went to center field. And I never let a guy – He he didn't touch one ball all night. Okay, but to top that off, the little was three for four with three runs scored and two runs batted <laughs> in.
1: So, so here's my here's my here's my question though, Ron. You're talking about that level of control. So, uh-huh. I, I want to go for a second into the one game playoff. Obviously, look, I mean, you know, we have Bucky Dent here, we have Ron Guidry right here. We're going to talk about this game. You get through those first innings. You gotta feel pretty good to have that game close with the way Boston's hitting the ball. I mean, what's going through your head as they're in those early innings?
0: You just said my answer, okay? The the when I got there, okay? There's no secret that I was pitching on one less day, and I and yep. you know I mean I, I had a, I had gone through 280 innings already, so I'm not I'm I know I'm not going to be at my my best, okay? Because I really would. I really could have used that extra day, but it's not like you you can't do the job. Okay, so what I was convincing myself of like throughout the morning, and, 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 and that morning, I mean, Bucky knows the story, but that morning when I got to the um, clubhouse, I actually went to sleep underneath the training table in the training
2: room. <laughs> That's what I was going to tell you to tell the story about sleeping under the training table.
0: I kept thinking about, you know, okay, the only thing that I need to do is keep this game close. Okay. One run, certainly no more than two runs. Because if I give up one run, okay, I could lose that game one to nothing. But if we don't score, I can't win anyway because I need one to win. Okay, so if you make a mistake and you give up two runs, okay, with the club that you have, two runs is not an insurmountable lead because one swing of the bat, two runs can be erased, and you have guys who can do that because there's always somebody that's doing something special on this club. All you got to do is your uh, is the best job that you can. So as I, you know, as look, I gave up the home run to to Yaz. Okay, but that's the shortest home run Yaz ever hit in his freaking career. <laughs> okay, I mean, if it had been two, three hundred and one feet, he'd have never got it, it would went foul. Okay, so whether the pitch would, was it a bad pitch? Yeah, it was a bad pitch. A guy hit a home run, but it wasn't like Yaz hit the ball in straight away right field, 400 feet. Okay, though, you know, that's one of those things. Oh, tip my cap to Yaz. Okay, now. The run that I gave up in the fourth inning to Burleson are two. Uh, Burleson scored the run, but I gave up a hit to Burleson. That's the one that really ticks you off. Okay? That's a slider that I hung. He hit a double down the line, and he eventually scored. That, that's the second run. But now they get no more. You know, and, and as the game is progressing, yeah, Torres is pitching a great game, but, you know, you're not you're not throwing a bad game. Okay, I made the one bad pitch that I really thought. Okay, but but you know, as a starter, when you're pitching, because I said it earlier, as a, as a starter, as the as the number one guy, if you make one bad pitch, a good hitter's gonna make you pay. And as you're sitting in the dugout in the seventh inning, and you're going like, okay, well, it's probably time something's gonna happen because this is how we've been playing. We could be up three to nothing. And then all of a sudden here's a three run home and the game goes from three to three to nothing to six, nothing. Now I don't have to worry about making a mistake pitch because if I make a mistake pitch and a guy hits a home run, I still got three or four or five runs to play with. Okay. But you can't do that when you're behind or the game is even. Okay. And you're sitting in the dugout and you know, all of a sudden you look up, Oh man, we well, got a first and second you know, and then now all of a sudden Bucky comes up and I'm sitting in the dugout and I'm watching. And then you see the, the, you know, Oh crap, man, that got to hurt. You know, you see Bucky walking around limping and, and, and all of a sudden you see Mickey going over and you see Mickey talking and you, you're, you know, you, the ordinary people are not paying attention to what's going on because that's when he gave you his bat, yeah, right?
2: Yeah, he gave me the bat right right then. Well, I mean, you got the wrong bat.
0: So, you know, like nobody notices that. Everybody's just watching Bucky Limp and, you know, now, okay, now the game resumes and you go back and you see. And then all of a sudden, you know, now everybody runs out in the dugout. And, and I, I never went out to see it, okay? Because when he hit it, I'm just thinking, well – Here we go. This is who we are because that's a three-run homer. Now, I didn't realize that freaking ball (laughs) just went over the net, but it's just like he has his home run. It just was fair, okay? Bucky's ball went over the net. That's a home run. I don't care. It could have been 600 feet, could have been 320. It's a home run. That's all we know, right? But all you know is now, all of a sudden, one swing in the bat, now the score is three to two. But we weren't finished. Mickey gets on, he steals, and all of a sudden we get a base hit, and now we're up four. But you know that and that's who we were, that's who we were. That's how we played. Somebody's going to be a hero, and it turns out to be Bucky. You know, here's a, your, your teammate and like i said he hadn't hit a home run probably in 2 months but <laughs> who cares who cares he hit the biggest home run when we needed the biggest hit of a game he gave it to us
2: well you know you're talking about guys making great plays i thought panella you know with the two yeah. plays well, he made well
0: panella i think made the play of the game
2: yeah you know early the, in the play game. that
0: he made in right field yeah I, I i think you know he's a he's a unsung hero mm-hmm. but you know, nobody wants to talk about Lou and his, you know, that, that, <laughs> as much as we love him, we don't talk about that. That's, you get paid to do that.
2: <laughs> well, the one in the ninth in he got paid a lot of money because he, he lost yeah. his son. Yeah, and he, you
0: got paid, you did what you did. I mean, yeah. you know, look, if you, if you go 0 for 4, you better play damn good defense out there. <laughs> you know? yeah. But that's, You know, but, but you remember what we talked about. We had so many guys on that club who were professional ball players who did everything the right way. And, and you know, when you ask Lou about that play, why, w- why was he able to make that? You know, he actually shaded that way right before they hit that ball.
2: Yeah, because he said that you didn't have your good stuff because you're pitching on four days rest. You didn't have your good stuff.
0: Yeah, you you you're going like, okay, well, uh, you know, no, the computers don't say things like that today. They don't they don't have that in there. That's not factored in there. But that's how smart the guys were.
3: Gator, after you came out of the game and Goose comes in, I know, you know, things got a little dicey, especially in the ninth inning. I, I want to ask both of you guys, what were the emotions you guys had? Obviously, Bucky, you were in the field, so you had a a little bit more uh you could use a little more of that nervous energy Gator. You were out of the game as you know, goose retired the last couple outs and you know, you guys are only up by one run. What what were the emotions each of you guys had there late in the, in the game there?
2: You know, I was at shortstop and uh, it came down to the Epic battle, you know, goose against your and uh, you know, everybody's saying, you know, what are you thinking at at shortstop? And I joke around, I'm saying, don't hit the ball to me, you know Um, but no, I was just, I was just teasing, but you know, Goose, I'd played with him for so many years. He had a knack of reaching back and getting a little bit more. And when he was going to make that pitch, he wound up and he threw a fastball right down the middle almost, And but it had about another two feet on it. And Yastrzemski just missed, missed it and popped it up to third base. And it was like, oh, my God, it's over finally. Just to see – that battle between Goose and Yastrzemski. You don't think about making a mistake or anything like that. You just think about what you're gonna do. You know, if the ball's hit to me, what am I gonna do with it? Where am I gonna go? You know, who's running? All that goes through your head. But the battle between him was was a classic. Goose against Jastrzemski and you know I want to go back you know earlier in the game in the seventh inning when I hit the home run Gator knows you know Billy and I didn't have a a real fuzzy relationship either and I tell the story I think if Billy was the manager I probably wouldn't have hit there He might
0: not have hit, yeah.
2: Yeah, I might not have hit because he had a habit of pinch-hitting for me. I think he pinch-hit for me in 77, like 30-something times when I came over. And actually, guys used to, you know, Munson used to whistle at me when I was on deck. I was getting pinch-hit for and I'd turn around, so I would just stand in the on-deck circle. I wouldn't even go up there. But honestly, I I probably wouldn't have hit if if Bob Lemon wouldn't have been the manager. But as far as that moment, that was just a classic moment between him and uh, Yastrzemski.
1: Ron, were you on the bench, or were you in the clubhouse for that?
0: Uh, No, I was in the clubhouse at that time. I mean, I stayed when he first came in, in the cellar, because it's actually, it was the only time that I really had words with the manager, because I really didn't want to come out. I tried to convince Lemon that I was fine. I mean, I, you know, I, I know I gave up a hit to George Scott, but it was like a 40-hop ground ball. You know, it, it, he just put it in a great spot. It would have been different if he had hit a ball off the wall or a line drive screaming base hit, but it was like a, a, a CNI and i ground ball. You know, and I still felt like I could get guys out and I could stay in to at least complete that inning.
2: Go back to the beginning of the game when you tell the story, you know, you said you were sleeping under a training table and George came in and you couldn't find you.
0: Oh, yeah. well, I just, I had always noticed that that training table in Boston, it was the only table that I had seen that had a, a, some plywood at the bottom that braced the legs. And it, it really looked like a great place that you could crawl into to take a nap because it was a full sheet of plywood. Most all tables are just braced with, uh, you know, a, a two by four cat or crossways or straight edge, you know, but this had a, a sheet of plywood at the bottom that was connected to all four legs. So I crawl. I told Gino, I said, I'm gonna crawl underneath there. Cause I got there early. It was the, I, I didn't wait for the bus to go. I just got there early. And I told Gene, I said, Gene, I don't want to be disturbed by anyone. I said, if the president calls and invites me for tea, tell him I'm going to call him back later. (laughs) So he understood what I was getting across. So I had been under that table maybe 30, 45 minutes. And when you're resting and you're resting pretty well, you can actually hear a lot, but you're probably dozing. And all of a sudden, I I heard the door slam and I, I heard this rough voice, you know. And I knew it was Steinbrenner. He walks in the table and he looks at Gene and all of a sudden he goes, Gino, he says, I need to talk to Gator. Have you seen him? I got to tell him how big of a game this is. (laughs) you're, You're sitting underneath that table and you're saying, I already know how big of a game this is. I don't have to have you telling me how big. And I'm listening to him talk to Gene, and Gene tells the old man, he said, boss, he said, the last time that I saw Gator, he told me that he was going to take a walk down the right field line. So he took off. Now, we never saw him again. I don't know what he did. Gino doesn't know. Okay, (laughs) but Gene just kind of flipped open the the, uh, sheet over the table, and all of the guys were sitting in the training room. I just, hey, guys, how's it going? I just got up, I walked, I dressed, and I left. <laughs> Everybody was just, their eyes were just, <laughs> man, I started to just a nap. <laughs> yeah.
2: And we had some guys that had fun.
0: And, you know, and then, of course, in the ninth inning, Goose drives us crazy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, I wanted you to tell the story about when Goose first came over and, uh, you, you, they, were going to, they were going to take you out of the game, and he was warming up. Oh and he'd, yeah. he'd, he'd start well, he, off, he he'd start yeah, off struggling. He'd
0: laugh at that. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah,
0: well, like I said, you, you have to, you know, you have to laugh, and, and, you know, when you talk to Goose, and Goose is such a dear friend to both Bucky and I. Yeah. And when you, when we laugh, and when, when you, when you're talking. He always says, you know, when when someone says, why were you guys 14 games out? He always says, because of me. And he will always say, it's because of me we were 14 games out. So before you ask, I'm telling you, okay? Because he struggled as a pitcher when we got him. He he struggled badly. And you know why. I mean, I always told him why, but, he, you know, you, you know, Goose, it just didn't fly. He didn't think it was like that. But – I always believe that you know, that the the predecessors, the great players that played in New York, they made you earn your stripe. You just didn't come into New York and wear the pinstripes. You had to earn your pinstripes. We all had to go through things like to earn our stripes because those ghosts in center field, they didn't take kindly to guys coming in there and just taking the world by storm. Not too many guys ever did that. So when Goose came in, he just was trying too hard to do what the job that he was supposed to be doing. And when you try that hard, when you try to be somebody that you're not, it doesn't work. You know, as he was struggling, the game that Bucky's talking about is, is – I know he's struggling. He doesn't have very many saves up until this point, and it's somewhere around late May, and you're having a great year. You know, but like – April, May, you can't tell what kind of season you're going to have. Nobody knew I was going to win 25 games. I didn't know I was going to win 25 games. I won 16 the year before, so if I win 16 again, I think I'm having a great year. So you're you you you're not putting a great amount of emphasis on those games at the beginning. You're just trying to win. You know, every five days I'm going out there and am I'm, I'm doing a good job. So we get into the ninth inning of this game, and we're actually playing Kansas City, and um, we're we're um, we're beating Kansas City two to one. I get the first guy out, and the next guy gets a base hit to right field. So, as customary, when the ball goes out and nobody's on, uh, Bucky's going to get the bag. Willie's going to go out be the cutoff guy, you know. And all I'm going to do is just kind of shade towards wherever Bucky's gone. So, in case there's a bad throw, the more gloves behind, the less that can happen. So, as I'm walking to back up Bucky, I just have to look up in center field and I see Goose in the bullpen warming up. So, you know, Willie gets the ball. He tosses it to Bucky. Bucky tosses the ball back to me. I walk up to the mound and then I hear timeout. And I see Billy walking out to the mound and I'm going, oh, no. No way. So, (laughs) I, I go up to the mound, and I'm standing up on the mound, and I'm waiting for Billy, and Munson comes over, and Bucky comes over, and Willie comes over. Everybody comes kind of hanging around the mound. And Billy walks up, and, and before he says a word, I I got my glove in front of my face so the cameras can't see. But when he walks up, I, before he can say a word, I I I'd look down at him, and I go like, if you plan on bringing that into this game here, I said, Sunday, I have to pitch again. I said, I'm going to throw one pitch. I'm going to fake an injury. And I said, I'm going to walk off the mound and leave your ass high. I said, because until that (laughs) starts getting guys out, I'm not coming out of any more of my game. (laughs) So he looks at me and he never said anything. He just goes, okay, you got it. And he left. He turned around and he left. So, So when the closer is ready, okay, The closer does not warm up and not go in the game. Before Billy even got in the dugout, Goose was on the phone from the bullpen calling into the dugout, trying to find out why he's not in the game. Now we're on the field. So I can't tell you I knew at that moment what happened, but I found out after. And what happened was when he called in the bullpen, Fowler answered the phone and he was irate. And Fowler gave Billy the phone when Billy got in. And all Art told me what Billy said was, when the game is over with, he said, you go talk to number 49. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> so I got the next two guys out. The game, the game ends. You know, you win 2-1. to one. Everybody comes over to try to congratulate me. And I'm, I'm, I'm booking. I'm trying to get to the dugout because I want to get my jacket. I want to hurry up and go into the <laughs> locker room because I know He's going to be pissed when he comes in. I got in the locker room and I got my chair and I turned my chair around so I could face the uh, doorway. So I, as as the guys came in, I knew, he, I knew he was coming in, you know, and all of a sudden now you start seeing the bullpen guys walking in. So like I saw, you know, one or two guys come in and sure enough, he's about the third guy that walks through that door. But he walked through that door, and he was low shagging. I mean, his, his neck was a bowed out. His face was red. <laughs> he turned that corner, and he took like one step, and he raised that big hand of his, and he had his finger pointed. And before he could say anything, I was just sitting in my chair. I was stretched out. I just held up my hand, and I looked at him, and I said, now far enough, I said, until you start getting guys out, I said, don't plan into coming to any more of my games. I said, I will take care of my problems, you take care of your own problems. And he 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 got about two-thirds of the way from the door to my locker, right at the corner. It's not but about 15 feet away. We're, you know, the doorway is 15 feet from me. He got about 10 feet. We had about 5 feet in the front of us. Just enough that his hand was about 2 to 3 feet away from my nose. And he He just looked at me for like a moment that was just silence, and he looked at me, and he goes, you know what? He said, you're right. The way I've been pitching, he said, I wouldn't even want my ass in those games. He said, let's go get us a beer. (laughs) So him and I walked almost hand in hand. We went get us a beer. Everything was forgotten. (laughs) We were great. But about a week after that, you remember, Bucket, it was like a light switch went out. Oh, yeah. We were playing. I don't know who we were playing. But he came in, and that's the night that Mickey was uh, in center field in the sprinter stance.
2: Oh, you yeah. You remember that? Oh, yeah. He had yeah. his back towards center field. Uh, towards home yeah, plate. he had his
0: back towards the center field, and all of a sudden when he was, Goose was ready to throw his pitches in the game and Munson was standing up and he made him turn around and Rivers was in center field in a sprinter stance with his butt facing home plate because all he, all he was doing was chasing fly balls. Yeah. But from that night on, Goose was unhittable. He threw eight of the hardest warm-up pitches I ever saw. Because Catfish and I was sitting next to us in the dugout, and when he threw the first one, I actually sat up straighter, and I looked at Cat, and Cat looked at me, and Cat goes, I don't throw the ball hard, but that seems to me to be pretty hard. And I said, <laughs> well, I throw the ball hard and it's damn hard. And we watched him and every pitch got harder. And we looked at each other and we go like, well, f- I'm glad I'm not hitting. And, and he just went through three guys like a knife goes through some butter. Okay. But from that, on, from that point on, it was like you earned your, you earn your pinstripes and boom, he was fine.
2: I think that's the night that Mickey jumped on the bullpen car when they brought him in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, All of that. It's all the same, but that's how everything was going for him. I mean, you know, he was never getting, he was struggling. He was trying too hard instead of just being himself, you know, just be goose Gossage. You don't have to be goose Gossage, the best right-hander in the game. Just be goose Gossage. Okay. And, you know, we 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 had fun at his expense because you had to but even he was having fun at his failures because he didn't let his failure get to him because if you let it you 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 get yourself out of your game and he never did that i mean he just tried too hard instead of just going like okay take a step back let me be the guy who signed to come here let me be the guy who who in pittsburgh last year led the league in saves over, you know, be that guy. Don't be a guy who you don't know. And that's who he was trying to be. But everything changed. And, of course, you know, everything, it's history. It's, It's what we talk about all the time. It's why Bucky and I talk about the playoff game. Because after that, you didn't worry about, you know, it's like what the team would do when Mo became close. Once we got into the seventh inning, we knew we won the game. All we had to do was get a lead going into the latter part of the game because we didn't lose too many games after you know, we got into the sixth, seventh inning.
2: Yeah. Well, people always talk about the guys on the team. You know, they always ask me about Thurman Munson. And I used to, I just chuckled sometimes because I got visions of, yeah. you know, when you were on the mound or Goose was on the mound and the count went 3 2. He didn't even put a sign down. He would just, like, he didn't put a sign. He didn't just, you he just yeah, waved his not hand.
0: the part of the game. It was like, well, dude, I need a, well, what who are you going to fool? Right. Okay, you throw fastballs for strikes, sliders out of the strike zone. Loose, <laughs> what you going to throw, that loose cutter? Yeah, <laughs> just throw it, okay? You know, but, but, you know, when you talk about that, okay, when you talk about Munson, it's, it, you're talking about one of the best catchers in the game, okay? And, and as a pitcher, you don't have to worry about anything. He's going to call the right pitches at the right moment. It takes, you know, more pressure off of me. Okay, and, and the least things that we have to think about the better we are. Okay, and, and having to throw to Munson was was just a blessing. When we get into the latter part of the games, we'd look in for signs, he just flashes the, come on, give me what you got. You know, he'd just give me that little sign with his hand, just kinda look off you you remember Bucky how he'd give you that he'd he'd always look off the side, you know, he wouldn't look at you, he'd just turn to the side and then he'd look back at you and like, "Oh, who are you going to fool? Just right. bring me what you got." Okay. Yeah. Just bring and, it on. and it was so fun and and he'd actually he'd actually sometimes tell hitters what was coming. Right. You'd be pitching and you you'd ask him, "Hey, am I tipping my pitches because it looks like they know what I'm throwing?" And he'd look at you and go like, "Well, they do. I'm telling them." <laughs> well, why are you telling them? <laughs> well, be Cause I want to see if they can hit it. Because <laughs> if they can't hit, when I'm telling them, guess what? They ain't gonna hit when they don't know. Yeah.
2: I, I remember Yogi would tell this guy, you know, he'd do something like that too. And you know, you say, "Why are you telling me?" He says, "Well, if you're gonna you're gonna shake me off, then you call the game. I'm just gonna tell them what." Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, that's what I'm saying. You know, guys like that, they played the game and they had fun at the game. It's not always that you have to be so serious, but those guys that you play with, they were just some of the greatest guys to play the game with. We all had our different characters. We are, we were all different, but it's amazing that, you know, 25 guys with 25 different attitudes, 25 different opinions really actually got along so well with each other.
2: Oh, we did. We did. Uh, you know, I, I say it all the time, you know, between the lines, nobody was going to beat us. And, you know, you, you you talk about Munson and, you know, I got to bring up Puff, you know, like when Goose came over, you know. People don't understand, you know, like Puff at third base, Nettles, we called him Puff. He would he would yell at Gossage, throw harder, throw harder, you know, during during the inning. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Goose would reach back and try and throw harder.
0: That was the camaraderie of that club. And everybody pitched in. You remember the time that Lou was 4 for 4, he was hitting in the ninth inning, in the 8th inning with a chance to go 5 for 5 and Nettles spit on the railing by the batter's box and he asked Lou what it was and Lou had a weak stomach. Okay? <laughs> and he spit a hawker on that bar and it started to hang down and and Nettles goes, "Hey Lou, what is that?" And when Lou turned around, he saw that, he started gagging. He, he was the next hitter <laughs> he goes up and he, he wound up striking out That he was 4 for 5 but he was so mad at Nettles <laughs> because he could have went 5 for 5 and Nettles did it on purpose he was sitting in the dugout and he goes I never went 5 for 5 I'll be damned if he does 5 for 5 we'll never hear the end of it he went and he spit on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were already winning, okay? So, you know, there's one more hit, it's going to make the game a rout, okay? Yeah. So what's one more hit, Luke? <laughs> but yeah. luke got a chance to go five for five.
2: Oh, I tell you what. Lou was one of the funniest, intense guys that oh, I've ever well, yeah, played you, you with. You could talk life.
0: about him for five hours and not get bored.
2: I'm telling you, that night in Seattle when the chicken was out there and you were pitching in oh, the Seattle chicken, God. and we were walking out. I remember because I was walking with you. We were walking to the mound and the chicken was standing on the mound with the ball, and Lou was behind oh, yeah. us. And, and you went to walk up and the chicken dropped the ball. And Lou dropped the ball. Lou threw his glove <laughs> as hard as he could at that chicken. <laughs> Hit him in the tail. Oh, he was mad. You hit him in the tail and he started screaming went, at him. Uh-oh.
0: oh. yeah. I uh, fried chicken tonight. Yeah. I wonder what was that clubhouse guy's name? I forgot. You remember? I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah. I hope we don't have fried chicken.
2: <laughs> well, about two innings later, the chicken comes out with a towel, and he's waving it at yeah. Lou in left field, right? yeah. killing I'll myself surrender. laughing. Yeah, I surrender. You know, talking about relationships, you had a great relationship with Yogi Berra. I mean, some of the stories, you guys wrote a book, uh, Driving Mr. Yogi. Tell that story about, you know, when he went to do the with affliction. The thing?
0: The affliction.
2: <laughs> the affliction commercial. Oh, yeah, the
0: affliction. Yeah, well, every morning, you know, pick him up 7 o'clock sharp. So I'm always there, you know, a few minutes before 7. So where my truck is parked and the entrance doors, uh, if you look straight through the, the lobby, the elevators are on the left side of the lobby. So you see that whoever comes out of the elevator, you can see right through the doorway. So I would always judge every morning if he what kind of mood he was in because believe it or not now everyone knows how beloved that man was well at seven o'clock in the morning there were always people in the hotel lobby waiting just to get a glimpse of him so as he would come out the elevator <clears throat> if you would see him waving at the people who were hollering at him he'd, he'd wave you know he'd never stop but he'd, he was cordial he'd wave so, okay, well, you know, he'd come out and he had a little smile on his face. Okay, fine, that's going to be a good day. But if he walked out and he never waved, you got a feeling that it wasn't going to be a good morning. So this particular morning, it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday morning. So I'm watching him and he walks out of the elevator and he ain't waving. So I had reached over, I had opened the passenger door, so... You know, all he'd have to do was hop in. and So he gets in the truck. Now, when he came through the doors, I could hear him grumbling. And I heard a few cuss words in that grumbling. So I'm going, oh, God, what's the problem? So he gets in the truck. Hey, buddy, how you doing this morning? Oh, God, he's, he's you know, that rough voice he's got. He starts complaining. Oh, I just got off the phone with Timmy. I got to fly to California on Friday night says, I got to go make this affliction commercial. So he's, when he says it, I'm going like, okay, what what possibly could he be talking about? <laughs> uh, <when> United Way, <laughs> cancer, you know, I know there's something in there somewhere, but uh, he hadn't said anything. And he's, you know, and he, he all of a sudden he turns around, and he looks at me, you know, what that damn duck. <laughs> so it hit me and I turned around and I looked at him. I said, you mean Affleck? he he looks at me and he points his finger like he's shooting you and he goes yeah that's it so I popped out laughing okay and I mean I lost control of the truck my my tire went over the curb I almost went in those bushes I'm laughing he starts laughing because now he realizes what he said so we both laughing so I finally get control of the, the the truck and I drive and I go on and we, we keep laughing, and throughout the day, we're talking about it. So I bring him to the airport Friday. He leaves, so he calls me Saturday afternoon with his itinerary for Sunday, and he's coming in like 12.45 on Sunday afternoon. Well, our game starts at 1, so that morning I went to tell Joe Torre. I said, Joe, I said, I'm not going to be here for the beginning of the game. i got to pick up Yogi at the airport. Oh, he goes, take care, of the, take care and don't worry about the game. So I okay, fine. So I, 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 I watch practice. I leave. The game's getting ready to start. I run to the airport. So I'm, I'm waiting in the truck, and I see him come down. He's got one little bag. So as the door opens, I go over. I grab the bag and, hey, buddy, welcome back. Boy, he says, oh, thank you. He says, how's, how's everything going? I was really good. So I open the door. He gets in the truck. He sits in the passenger seat. I walk around. I open my back door, put his bag in, and I get in the driver's seat. I open the door. And then I put my seatbelt on. I start the truck, and I'm just getting ready to pull away. And he leans over, and he puts his left hand on my right shoulder, and he kind of leans in. We're the only two people in the truck. The windows are up, and he talks in this low low voice like he doesn't want anybody to hear what he's going to say. And he leans over, and he goes, Gator. He said, "You know, those ducks really don't talk, right?"
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought I was gonna pee in my pants when he said that.
2: <laughs> I tell you,
0: we had a great relationship.
2: That that is an amazing story. Well, being around him as a player, and you know, and later, I tell you what, there there wasn't a more special guy than that guy. I mean, he said some of the funniest stuff, but he was wonderful. There's a couple more questions I wanted to ask you, and then I'm gonna let you go, and that. That is, you know, you and Willie were named co-captains, and you had your number retired. That's, that's quite an honor. That's, that's special. I mean, from walking in to, you know, getting sent down to driving home thinking you're going to quit to being one of the all-time greats of being a, ca- a co-captain and having your number retired. That's, that's quite an honor.
0: When you leave, when you say, okay, that, that's it for me. I, I got enough. I can't do it. Whatever the reasons are, and you walk away you always wonder if you did enough and if your, your your club appreciated the job that you did, okay? Because nobody comes up and says anything, they, that's your job, you're supposed to do that. Well, the day that they called to tell me that they were gonna retire my number was, you know, just, I, I couldn't believe that that was gonna happen. You know, retiring your number was, you know, like the pinnacle of anything that you can do there. But I never really realized If they retire your number, then they give you the plaque. Okay? I thought that my number was just going to be retired. I just never thought about the plaque that was going to be out in center field. The day that they had, the day that they presented me with all that. When I walked out from the clubhouse down the steps and I got in the dugout, when I walked up like the first step so I could see the playing field, I saw the monument underneath the cloak and it hit me what the hell was really going on, you know, that you'd be enshrined out there. And, uh, that's the, that's the first time that, uh, tears uh, came to my eye because I realized exactly what the hell was going on for me. Like, well, if you ever wanted an answer there, there's your answer, idiot.
2: <laughs> hey, well, my number's out there, but it's Posada. <laughs> that gumigator gator, shoot.
0: Hey, look, I tried. I tried to do a lot of things, but unfortunately, you know, you know how hard it was with the old man.
2: <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, I know. Woo. You know, you were a coach for him and I managed for him. Holy cow.
0: Yeah, well we all had our experience. But well, he, he he was fun. I mean it was him. as as rough as you think he was, he was really an a good guy. But yes. I I don't think that he liked the good guy title. I think he liked to be the rough mean guy. You know, he's a guy like like he would wear the black hat. Mm-hmm. He he didn't want it known that he had a white hat.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. because well, you
0: you know he did everything for the club uh, and there was nothing he would not do for the club
2: well my last question for you is uh before we let you go and it's been just a fun time talking to you is you know you go to spring training and you know you spent some time down there this year with a guy like garrett cole i mean for him coming to new york i mean and you being a You know, a legend there. I mean, did you spend much time with him, you know, talking about New York, what it's like, you know, what it's like to pitch there? Because it's a different animal.
0: You know, it's one of the things that I told him early and with all the intense scrutiny, our time was really stolen from us with the the COVID-19 thing and and everything that came about. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's very cordial. He's fun to talk to you have to have a, a degree to talk to him though, because he's, you know, he, he talks things that are really, uh, the other never imagined, you know, and you go like, well, after talking to him, you realize that as good as you thought you were, you were really harsh <laughs> because if, if you know what he knows, you might've been better. <laughs> okay. But he's really great to talk to. And, and I just felt like we didn't, we didn't have the opportunities to spend enough time together, but he, he, you know, he'd come over sometimes and ask some questions. And I told him, you know, the biggest thing that I would ha- I would talk to you about is playing in New York. And he says, I want to know. I want to get with you. I want to. I want to know. But we never really had a time. You know, I I just wish that we'd have been able to have more time, and we would have probably had some time. You know, as the spring. You know came and gone.
1: Here's the good news. He signed a pretty long contract with the team. So I think you're gonna get
0: your chance (laughs) (laughs) You know, we might have to wait till next year and I might get to tell him what what it would be like You know playing in New York because I don't know what's gonna happen I don't know if anybody knows what's gonna happen to the game from you know from here on out And if it's next year, well, then we worry about next year next year
2: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what Gator a lot for all the fans out there They don't know what a great cook you are and I always look forward to going to Yogi's tournament cooking frog legs and oh
0: yeah i told you before why you want to talk about the crap that i did we could have talked about cooking for two hours
2: i know do you call them cra- do you call them crayfish or crawfish
0: we call them crawfish crawfish yeah. crawfish well
2: if yeah. i if i can get down here with you uh, i'd love to come well, down there and shoot some you? ducks i want to come yeah, shoot well, some the, ducks you
0: don't do nothing anyway
2: <laughs> you're right what do you do sit on the beach <laughs> well, I tell you Staying what, I called your you shorts. What? Hey, easy, pal. Because when I called you the other day, you had trouble getting out of that damn chair. <laughs> but yeah. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>
0: that's right. It. Uh, I, yeah, I but if we cooking, if we cooking, that's a difference. Your body jumps up when you're cooking because you know when you're <laughs> cooking, you got to drink at the same time. Because if you don't drink, it ain't gonna come out good.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, you can
0: always rub some extra vodka on the top of the wherever it's sore. We rub a little vodka on it.
2: There you go. There you go. Well, yeah,
0: Al's Al come down here. He knows what we're talking about.
2: Oh, Al gets sick. He gets sick all the time, though. No, I, I took him fishing. He got sick. He can get sick there, though. <laughs> yeah, he went He went down to see Pettit, and he got sick. Bucky, no offense. I, I think the next podcast we launch is going to be a
1: cooking hour with uh, Ron Kittry. There you go. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll do that.
0: Well, no, but what, what you got to do, Bucky, is you got to plan it so when we have the next one, Okay, you already have come down so and you can eat the stuff so that way when we talk about it, you'll know exactly what we're talking about.
2: There you go. You got <laughs> it. That's a deal, man. that's a deal. I'm in. That, I'm in. Deal. Yeah. I'm in.
0: Well you Al, you're welcome. You Al, you've been here before. We've always said you're welcome to well, come thank back. Thank
3: you. It was one of the best times I've had. Uh, it didn't feel like work, I'll tell you that much. And and you know, I, I always tell well, Bucky. We, and everybody, we don't want
0: it to feel like work. No. It's, supposed <laughs> be, it's supposed to be fun. Look, we're going to tell you, Al, if you come down here to work, don't bother about coming, okay? I'm
3: coming to eat. Drink beer and eat frog legs. That's what
2: I'm going oh, to do. G- Gator, Gator, we, we have to worry about <laughs> Al. I took him fishing. He got sick. He went to see pennant He got sick. He fell out of the damn boat and, and Goose's uh, oh. pond almost drowned. <laughs> yeah,
3: I've had some, some troubling times, let's say.
0: New York
2: City, boys. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, Gator, this has been great, man. Love talking to you, you know. And, uh, I love talking, talking to about you. You know that
0: you're one of my good friends, and you stay are, in touch. buddy. Al yep. is yes. always good talk. Was John there?
1: Hey,
2: thanks so much, Ron.
0: So love you too, man. All right, All talk right, to you later. Bye bye. Bye bye.
2: Wow, what a great interview! Not only was he a great teammate, but just a great friend. And the stories—oh my God, I just love talking about those old days with the '77, '78 Yankees. And actually, talking about his career—you know how he started in the bullpen and went on to be one of the great pitchers, you know, a Cy Young Award winner and uh, a, a guy that uh, had his number retired, Yankee captain. I mean, he's he's just a special guy, and I, I was just so glad to talk to him.
1: i got to say, I mean, we're making history here. Not only are we talking to the guy – who, as I mentioned, probably had the best pitching season by a Yankee in the last hundred years. But we finally get to test out the bleep tool on this podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you can't bleep them things out, man. That's part of, Yeah, I don't that's, know. If we should. That's 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 part of him, man. That's part of his stories, you know. But uh I just love him, you know, and he he's He's not only been a great teammate, he's been a great friend, you know, forever. I mean, he's always checking to see how you're doing, uh, calling guys and, uh, you know, and say, hey, what are you doing? And, you know, I'll joke around with him, you know, are you on that tractor or are you sitting down or what are you doing? You're know, you shooting ducks or killing frogs. And he'll start laughing, you know, and um, it, it's just always good to talk to him.
1: Here's the thing. I mean, this is this is episode seven of this, Bucky, and, I, and I've loved the first six. This episode is exactly what we pitched to you at the beginning, you know, talking to your teammates, just sharing stories, getting you guys laughing. I mean, I was sitting there silent for most of this thing, trying to crack up silently. So I wasn't laughing into the microphone most of the time. But that was just
3: awesome. I agree. He's a
2: special guy. Yeah, we didn't get to uh, a bunch of the the stories about Piniella and some of the other guys. But we'll do that one on the next one when we talk about cooking.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if it gives me an excuse to go back to Louisiana and spend a day with him or a weekend with him there. I'll we, we could do the podcast there anytime we want. I
2: would love it. Yeah, well, we're going to have to put floaters on you so you, <laughs> if we go duck hunting, you won't sink.
1: <laughs> I'll stay home for that. Obviously, we're really proud of this podcast. We're really excited about the conversations we get to have. And, you know, we, we've been getting some some really strong feedback about it so far. But we actually got a very specific question from a reader this week, which is related in a sense to, you know, our conversation just now about 77 and 78. The question is from Wayne Hermans and uh, Bucky, he, ha- he asked us to pass it along to you, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Mr. Dent, I'm really enjoying the podcast. I really enjoyed the latest one with Andy. I had the good fortune of briefly meeting him his rookie year, and he was truly a class act. I would love to see you interview some of the guys from your Yankees years and Paul O'Neill as well. Uh, those are good ideas, Win. Anyhow, my question for you is, what was your relationship with Greg Nettles like? The reason I ask is because I became best friends with an older kid in the neighborhood in upstate New York in 1977. He introduced me to baseball and the Yankees. His favorite player was Greg, and since you played next to him, I chose you as my favorite player. I moved out of New York when I joined the Marines, but it's 43 years later and we're still best friends and you're still my favorite Yankee. God bless. That's from Wayne Hermans. I love that question. Obviously Bucky, before you answer, I just want to encourage everybody to, you know, send us questions like that to podcast at Yankees.com. We'd love to get them, you know, in front of Bucky. And so, yeah, Bucky, what, what was your relationship with Greg like?
2: Well, Wayne, Greg was one of them, a great teammate, you know, and he was probably the best third baseman that I ever played with. And, uh, you know, we called him Puff uh, because you know he'd always puff when you'd be standing around talking. All of a sudden, you turn around and go, "Where did he go?" And uh, he puffed. But uh, he was a great teammate. He was a great third baseman, and he had a, a unbelievable dry sense of humor. And that group of players that uh, I played with in the Yankee organization from '77, you know, to '82 that I got traded with were different characters, and. Puff was one of the main guys, you know, he w- he could get really serious when the game was on, but then he could get really to be a lot of fun off the field because he had that dry, sarcastic sense of humor. And he was a great teammate. I just saw him down in spring training before uh, the virus started. We did a show together and told some stories, but he was a great teammate and I loved him.
1: Well, that's awesome. Wayne, thank you so much for asking that question. Like I said, I hope that, uh, You know, everyone will start asking some questions. We can get Bucky to get you guys some answers. Al, Bucky, that was a lot of fun. I got to say, you know, episode seven's in the books right now. Every day we're getting, it seems, hopefully a little closer to maybe uh, finding some clarity as to when we might get to see some baseball. But in the meantime, I know I speak for myself. I'm having so much fun discussing this stuff with you guys. So, you know, thanks so much for getting together and doing this stuff and to the listeners thank you guys we hope that you will stick with us if you're just discovering this please you know subscribe and rate and review us and like us and tell your friends about us you can go to yankees.com slash podcast to get all previous episodes of deep to left with bucky dent or if you want to listen to the other podcasts on the yankees magazine podcast network which is the yankees magazine podcast i encourage you to do that as well In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Write us letters to podcast at yankees.com. And, of course, subscribe to Yankees Magazine by going to yankees.com slash publications. Bucky, Al, can't wait to do it again in two weeks. Hope you guys are doing well.
2: Thanks so much. Can't wait to do the next one. Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees.